You know, I was reading this week, Adrian Rogers said that the preacher needs to remember that he is the mail boy and he needs to put the mail on the front steps of every house and the message ought to read, Jesus saves. Amen? I really believe that. Thank you. The children's church is gathering over here to my left. You're right. So our youngins on the balcony all the way down the interest to children's church. Please know you take your time and make your way over to the Welcome Center and they will meet you there. And I know y'all going to have a great time in children's church this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where I'll call your attention to in the Word of God this morning. The scripture is also on the front of the worship guide and it'll be on the screens too in case you uh, don't have a copy of God's Word there with you. That's no problem. Uh, we've got you covered. Uh, so we want you to follow with us as we look into the Word today. We've been talking about the family here for several weeks, different aspects of the family. I, I thank God for my family, don't you? I mean, I do. I thank God for my, my physical family, uh, my earthly family. I thank God for my spiritual family. Uh, the membership of the Heflin Baptist Church is near and dear to my heart. The membership of the body of Christ beyond these walls, very near and dear to my heart. So I'm grateful for family relationship that God has given us. And it's a wonderful gift, the gift of family. So we're going to talk today, Lord willing, about the family's atmosphere. Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you found your place, and let's stand together and read God's word together. We're going to pick up about verse 6. I just want to back up to verse 5. I know 6 is on the screen, but I, I, I like what verse 5 says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It says, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Father, for the power that is contained within it. I thank you, Father, for the lives that are changed by its message. And I pray today, Father, that thirsty souls will find living water. I pray that your children who have drifted and are walking at a guilty distance would be reclaimed, restored, refired, refueled for the journey ahead as you revive your church in these last days. And God, may you build strong family units today. God, we can't do it ourselves. Only you can build the house, maintain the house, and help us walk with you. May the Son of God be glorified through the preaching of the gospel today is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. The family's atmosphere. All of us know how important a healthy atmosphere can be to any relationship, especially with those who live under the same roof. When there's discord, it's difficult. When there's harmony, there's a whole lot of happiness. It doesn't take long for us to determine if the atmosphere of a home is conducive to health and growth of Christian lives and the importance of making sure that that is so. 
I always enjoyed, one thing I enjoyed about college football is I enjoy the atmosphere. I enjoy the, the excitement and all the things that go into building up to the kickoff. And, you know, there are some very, very diligent fans of all teams out there. Some paint themselves up in the colors of their team and they wear masks and hats and all sorts of stuff and get really into it. The guys for the University of Georgia, I don't know if they call them the dog pound or what, but they're all painted up like dogs and they got spiky shoulder pads and, you know, they're, they're really intense. They really believe this is their best year, guys, so we got to really come together here, all right? So, now, I've held them at bay for a long time. In the whole 18 years I lived there, I held them at bay. Now, we got to hold them one more time. But no, I do enjoy the atmosphere, and that whole atmosphere builds up to that first kickoff and then the energy that's released and I tell you it's very important that we understand that without the proper atmosphere the experience wouldn't be the same we all have in our homes most of us have outside our home or somewhere maybe even on your car my truck will tell me from the inside what the temperature is outside uh, most of us have thermometers somewhere but we also, thankfully, now that it's gotten a little colder, I bet some of you have hit that thermostat in a different direction this weekend, had not kind of smells when you first turn it on too, doesn't it? But nevertheless, we know that we have thermometers and we also have thermostats, and they both serve a very important purpose. Thermometers are only meant to register the temperature. They can only tell you how hot or how cold it is. They register temperature, but they do not regulate temperature. Thermostats regulate temperature and don't just register it. They help set the tone, set the atmosphere, if you will, uh, for the comfort of your home. Someone has to do more than just register temperature. Someone has to lead toward the desired temperature. Too many Christians today are just thermometers. We just kind of register the temperature and if it's, not too, if it's too hot or too cold, we may even complain about it a little bit. But I want you to know somebody has to do more than just register the temperature. Somebody's got to set it and lead toward the proper spiritual temperature. What if you went to a college football game this coming weekend and you saw the band come out? They had all of their horns and all of their flags and the majorettes had their batons and all that kind of stuff. And then the cheerleaders came out and they were all dressed in the colors and they had their megaphones and their pom-poms and they stood beside the band and for the whole game they never used a megaphone, never led a cheer, never shook their pom-poms, maybe the band never played a song. They dressed in the proper attire, they brought the right equipment, but they did not perform the function for which they were there. You'd say, preacher, that'd be a pretty dull ball game, wouldn't it? Sure it would. It'd be very dull. But I want you to know that these bands and cheerleaders and fans are thermostats trying to raise the spirit of enthusiasm that they might cheer their team on to victory. Very important we understand that. Now the text today gives us some essential parts to setting the proper temperature in every Christian home. And I want you to know today by the word of God and by the power of the spirit of God, I deeply want to help you today because you may have all this figured out. And if you do, after church, would you hang around and help me figure it out better? Because I know I struggle just like all of you. 
But I believe we all need help from the Word of God today to be the best parents and grandparents and sons and daughters that we possibly can and followers of Jesus Christ. And I believe the text will help us to be just that today. First thing I want you to notice here in verses 6 and 7, the Word of God teaches us the importance of instructing the family. If we're going to set the atmosphere and the temperature, we're going to have the right thermostatic setting for spiritual growth and development in the home or in the church, there has to be instruction of the family. See, Moses charges the men to teach those under their care to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He didn't leave anything out. He's saying here is the very uh, crux of the matter is that men would love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength, and they would teach those who are coming behind them to do the same. I want you to know that when my life is over, it will not matter to me whether people thought I was a great preacher or a pastor because I promise you there's a lot of opinions out there that I'm not very good at either one of those. But I'll tell you this. I do want it to be known and be very clear that when my life is over that I loved God with all my heart. I loved Miss Angie with all my heart. I loved Caitlin and Brooklyn with all my heart. I loved the church of the Lord Jesus with all my heart. And I loved lost people with all my heart to tell them about Christ. That's all that will matter. Nothing else matters. And that's what Moses is saying. Let's get down to what really matters. Now there are multiple ways to accomplish the task that Moses set before us. But I just want to suggest a few. One that we can, way we can accomplish faithfully instructing the family toward loving God with all that we are is through continual teaching. Now, teaching also carries the connotation of making a disciple. Uh, sir, if you have a son, you want him, you want to invest into him some things that so when he becomes a husband and he becomes a father, that he can take the principles that have been passed to you either through your earthly father or through spiritual mentors so that you can carry on those same things. See, teaching of others is not accomplished by sharing one lesson or even an occasional lesson. No, no, the process of making disciples of those in your home requires a continual teaching, and I'll talk about later too, modeling of the word of God in practice in your life. In his book, Experiencing God at Home, I love the two of the Blackaby brothers, Tom and Richard Blackaby, collaborated in writing the book, Experiencing God at Home, and they suggest some things that are very important. They suggest that parents should be prepared to function in a variety of roles in the lives of their children. One of those roles that they suggest is that every parent should function as a teacher. And I want to say to you today, you're going to hear this a lot. You might have heard this growing up. If you did, you're not alone. You might have heard and may have been imparted to you that you're not supposed to do as you are seen modeled. You're just supposed to do as you're told. Well, that might work for a little bit, but it won't work for a lifetime. Blackaby says this, he says a teacher is one who instructs. He said diligent parents are continually teaching their children what they need to know and how to thrive in life. Even suggest some areas. Parents teach their children, we hope, how to read and write. 
along with their teacher. They don't just expect the teacher to do it all. I hope parents get involved with that. I remember sitting with my children doing homework and stuff. It takes a lot of patience, doesn't it, Mom and Daddy? Somebody said, oh, me, right? We teach them how to repair broken things. We teach them how to clean up after themselves. Some of you are like, we're still learning that one, right? No, we do that. We teach them to brush their teeth and wash their hair, wash their face and all these things. We teach them how to behave and teach them how to show proper manners and respect to others. Amen? We teach them to have proper manners, teach them to respect the teacher, teach them to respect the, the policeman, teach them to respect the principal, teach them to respect the Sunday school teacher and so on. I'll never forget this one man years ago and I'll never forget his family was always lamenting over the trouble he was getting in wherever he was. He was probably 15 years old. And it didn't matter. One day, you know, it was the teacher. It was the principal. Uh, moved to another school. Guess what? Same problems. Uh, didn't like the youth pastor at our church. Didn't like me as his pastor. And I began to put it together. Wait a minute. He don't like the teacher. He don't like the principal. He don't like the youth pastor. He doesn't like the pastor. He doesn't respect the policeman. So the problem's not with him. The problem's with his parents. They didn't say amen. I didn't. No, no, I said, listen, there has to be respect and manners for other people. You cannot expect it to be taught anywhere else. We teach them how to dress themselves. I'll never forget five-year-old kindergarten downstairs. Miss Nevelyn Justice was our music teacher. I came in one morning, I was fired up, had me a new flannel shirt, Marty. Got it for Christmas. It sure did have me some little cowboy boots. And I came in and Miss Justice looked at me and she said, who dressed you? I said, I did. This was back when they weren't worried about building up your psyche, you know. She said, well, it sure looks like it. <laughs> so she took my shirt and got the buttons in the proper holes and got me straightened out. But no, we teach them that. We teach them how to do homework, study for tests. We should teach them how to pray and read the Bible. I want to be very honest with you. My girls are grown now. And I look back over my time with them, and I tell you, I'd go back and do it again in a heartbeat. Maybe I'd do better, I don't know. But if I could go back and change one thing, and Lord knows there are many, if I could go back and change one thing, I would have prayed with my children more than I did. I don't know, maybe you, I hope probably somebody in the room today would say, yeah, and now look here, I prayed for my children 24-7, 365, I felt like. They were always on my heart and always on my mind. But sometimes I would get busy just like you and I didn't spend enough time praying with them specifically and for that I do, do regret. But it's our responsibility to pass on important information and life skills to our children. I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 78. You don't have to turn there but you might want to write it on your sheet. Psalm 78 verses one through seven. Let me just give you a few of these things. The psalmist says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers, 
fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them that the children who would be born that they may arise and declare them to their children that they may set their hope in God did you hear that church that they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments Reminds me of what happened in Joshua chapter four when they crossed over the Jordan in Joshua three and they got to the other side. The water had been parted as the, as the Levites walked into the water and God parted the water of the Jordan. And as all of the Israelites crossed over, headed toward Canaan, they got to the other side and while the water was still parted, Joshua sent one man from every tribe of Israel to get a stone and bring it out to build a memorial. After those 12 stones had been brought out, Joshua went and got 12 himself. He brought those 12 and they stacked those 24 stones and they said, we're gonna build a memorial so that every generation that passes this way will be told the story of what happened when God parted the Jordan and we walked on dry ground. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today, you today, that as a man of God and a woman of God, and as you seek the heart of God, that as God works in your life, tell your children. When God works in your life, tell your grandchildren. Show them that God is alive and at work, and don't ever apologize for giving God glory, for bringing you through the rough waters, oh, in the fiery times. Don't ever apologize. Why? Because he need, they need to see that God is awesome, he is powerful, and he deserves all the glory I believe that I believe that I'm a firm believer today that if we don't teach our children the important issues of life somebody else will and I told a young dad this the other night I said if you let somebody else do it I promise you your children don't mean as much to them as they mean to you and there are people have no right speaking into your child's life who would seek to deter them from the will and the word of God when God has placed you there to guard the gate. Continual teaching. There's another thing I suggest to you today. It's also accomplished through consistent testimony. Verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6 teaches us that there must be a great degree of consistency in what we teach our children. See, we must engage our family in conversation about the Lord and his word. Notice how Moses wrote it. When you're sitting in the house, that means when you're having conversation. When you're walking by the way, that means when you're in the community. When you're lying down, that's at the conclusion of the day. And when you're rising up, that's at the commencement of the day. I'll never forget, my girls were a little hard to wake up sometimes early in the morning. They're not like your kids, they just jump right up, don't they? And I had this real neat way of commencing the day. When they wouldn't get up, I'd just go knock on the door and I would break forth in song. Don't y'all want to be there for that? Oh, I'd start singing, Marty. Rise and shine. And give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. And then I go to the door. Rise and shine and give him glory, glory, children of the Lord. I'd love to tell you they bounced out of bed and sang the doxology. 
but they didn't. But they got up. It worked. Because you know what they knew? He won't stop until we get up. He won't stop. But no, Moses is saying whether you're having conversation in the community at the conclusion of the day, commencement of the day, always have a consistent testimony. Uh, another role that Blackaby suggests is that we would be not only the teachers, but we would be their advisor and consultant in life. See, a parent only earns the right to influence their child by living with a consistent testimony of Christ's likeness. I can't tell you the people in my generation that I have talked to whose parents were church leaders, pastors, deacons, and down the line who walked away from the church, and here was their excuse. My daddy pretended to be somebody on Sunday that he wasn't any other time of the week. Boy, I've heard that a bunch. I like what Chip Ingram said. He said, effective parenting requires that we practice what we preach. Children will not shape their lives by what we say. They are keen observers of our attitudes and behaviors. And parents are their first and most important role models. Our instructions only sink in when kids see them backed up with a character and lifestyle that is consistent with our words. Simply put, parenting requires a lot of integrity. That is a great word. May your children see you loving Jesus, not just on Sunday, but every day. Instruct the family. Well, let me move forward to verse 8 to share with you that he also said that if the temperature is going to be right, we've got to make sure we imprint the truth. See, when something is imprinted, it has to be placed there to last, not something that would fade away. Our life instructions must have a lasting imprint on our children to positively affect future generations. Do you remember reading the book of Joshua? How that after Joshua died for a few generations, things stayed like they were supposed to, but eventually the generations that followed began to neglect what Joshua had taught, and then the next generations didn't just neglect it, they rejected it, and the world, I mean, the, 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 the Israelites fell into a period of the dark ages, the days of the judges, simply because there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Boy, it's sad. But if we're going to imprint the truth, there's a couple things we've got to do. One, there must be a visible witness. Verse 8 expands upon the principles of verse 7. So here's the question. Have you ever heard the saying, Children won't do what you say, but they will do what you do. I want you to know it's more than an old saying. Some old sayings need to be just that, old and gone, right? Because there's some things people say and quote like it's scripture that's really not. No, it's not scripture, but the principle here is not only biblically solid, it's basic psychology. I read some research this week of a guy named Albert Bandura, see? Y'all didn't know I knew fancy people like that, right? I don't even know Albert, but this is good. In his research, he found that the most educational tool on the planet is not a book, it's not a speech, it's not a video, a program, or a seminar, or an online training module. The most powerful educational tool on the planet, according to Bandura's research, is 
that it's modeling, providing an observable pattern of behavior and doing it consistently. He's saying that what's more profitable and what helps people learn better is if they can see a consistent testimony in action. There has to be a visible witness. But there also, it leads us to a viable work. I read Tony Evans this week, a book he published in 1996 called No More Excuses. Well, it's, a book, it's a book for men. I recommend every man read it. He talks about what makes a real man. He says, you know, the world defines manhood very differently than the Bible. The world wants you to believe that manhood is totally contradictory to what the Bible teaches. This book he wrote in 1996 had a, had a chapter in it that really caught my attention. Every chapter began with the words, no more. No more this, no more that. He's saying we're done with that. We're not making any excuses for why men aren't being who they're supposed to be. And the chapter that really caught my attention was, he says, no more sissified males. <laughs> it's pretty blunt, isn't it? Y'all say, well, yeah. well, in 1996, I read the things he's talking about and the things that he was warning were coming have come. There is an attack on manhood there's an attack on the man being the leader of the home of the church. I really believe that. But he said this. He said, what makes a real man, and he defined it as this, a real man builds and then hands down a legacy. He builds and then hands down a legacy. His testimony must be believable, consistent, and impact the generations that follow him. Believable, consistent, that will impact the generations that follow him. Sir, that is the greatest gift you can give to your family, your church, or your community is a consistent, believable testimony that you will pass on of loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That is the best legacy you could ever leave. Hand it down. Then finally, I want to close today by telling you but the third thing we can do in order to set the right temperature is to inform the world. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, I'm not afraid to let people know whose side I'm on. Y'all, I heard the story about this man who used to come to church week after week and he was, he was unable to hear and the church didn't have anybody that knew much sign language but they knew one lady that knew a little bit was trying to, to help him and he just kept coming week after week and they knew that he wasn't able to take in what was coming from the pulpit. And finally, this lady knew just enough sign language to ask him a question. She says, why do you keep coming? We know you can't hear the preacher. No, you can't hear the choir, Marty. And he signed back these words. He says, I just want the world to know whose side I'm on. How about that? Oh. He said, I keep showing up with the people of God because I want to identify with the body of Christ and the Son of God of whom I am not ashamed. Oh, you can go to our closets in our homes. You can go to our offices. You can go into my office. You can tell whose side I'm on. Ain't no orange in there, buddy. Right? No, I, I, you know, we, we go to our automobiles, our tags on the front, roll tires for all you good people. And, uh, 
<laughs> Just seeing if y'all are listening. Y'all get a little dazed on me sometimes, right? We turn the heat on, y'all get a little dazed. Anyhow, no, we show clear evidence and we put it on display of who and what we prefer. Our clothing tags make a, and cars and all, they make a statement to which team has our full allegiance. But what about when it comes to our commitment and allegiance to Christ? Why can we be so vocal about temporary things and so silent about an eternal relationship with a holy God? Oh. I tell you, when you got a relationship, you want the world to know, don't you? See, I entered into a relationship with my sweet wife before the days of social media and technology. I did not have to put it on social media for us to be official. Y'all know FBO, right? See, y'all didn't know I knew terms like that, didn't you? FB official. You're not really official if you haven't put it on your FB or your Instagram or you haven't chat snapped it to somebody, right? <laughs> this is my boo. <laughs> No, we was official that first Heath Blizzard I told y'all about. 99 cents, boy, want her over, got her, made her use my spoon. Yeah. That's when I knew we was done, boy. No, but when you have a relationship with somebody you love and respect and admire, you're not ashamed of that. Amen? So there's a couple of things on informing the world. Stay with me here. First, we've got to look at the spiritual position because in every home, the word of God should be our guide for daily conduct, regardless of where we are, who we're around. Young people growing up, I don't know if y'all ever had this happen, but I know when I was y'all's age, there would be people that would be my bud till somebody cooler showed up. Now, I don't know how much cooler you can get than this right here, but no, I'm not kidding. No, listen, that's just an immature thing that's grown up, but you know there are people that are still that immature that are way past adolescence. Amen? There are people who want to pretend to be righteous when it's okay instead of just be who you are wherever you are, and you don't have to worry about what you said or did where you were last. Amen? Warren Wiersbe said, the word of God, this is something neat about this text. You know how they wrote it on, the po on their arms and the foreheads and put it on the post? He said, the word should even control who is permitted to go through the gate and come through the door into our home. Wow. He said, they were guarding the gate. He said, the Jews took the words of verses eight and nine very seriously. There were, they took portions of scripture and they put in little containers on their foreheads. That'd be kind of funny today, somebody with a little container on their forehead with scripture in it or on it, put on their left arm. They also attached small containers of scripture to the front doors and on every door in their house. Each occupant of the home touched that container of scripture every time he or she passed through the door. It's kind of like the wind sign, boys, coming out of the dressing room. There's scripture signs, and every time they went through the door, they touched the scripture. It was a sign that the house 
was to be a sanctuary for the Lord and a place where the word was loved, where the word was obeyed and the word was taught. I really believe that. I believe as much as God dwells within every believer, he should dwell and feel at home in our homes. It should be a place where the scriptures are honored and where we are not ashamed of our faith. Oh, it's not just for us to understand the spiritual position, but notice with me also it's a significant priority. The priority for creating the right kind of atmosphere in the Christian home lies at the feet of every father. Now, Mama, I want you to know, don't tune me out, Mama, because you're, you're responsible, but I want you to know something. Your husband will stand before God for himself, for you, and for your children. Now, now hear me. He has a responsibility to lead the family to godliness, and you should never get in the way of him doing that because he's going to stand before God he is. You won't have to give an account for him, but he's going to have to give an account for you. Sir, does that not put a little lump in your throat? Does mine. So what is the culture like in your home? Is it a place where Christ is honored and exalted? Is it a place where you behave the same as you do here, or is it a place you behave totally different? Dad, I want you to know, and I just said a little bit about it, it's your responsibility to set the right temperature. You are the thermostat. You will either lead your children toward God or away from God. There is no middle ground. Your children will either see an example of loving Jesus the way he ought to be loved from you or they'll see an example of loving the world the way you do. You've got to lead them toward Jesus. You must take seriously the spiritual education of your children and emphasize at home what is being taught at the church. Did you hear that? the church's responsibility is not to fix your home the church's responsibility is to come alongside your home and together the parents and the children and the church and the leadership work together for the glory of God and you emphasize and re-emphasize to your children what they're being taught from this pulpit the Sunday school class, the youth room the children's church or whatever re-emphasize those things speak well of the members of your church Speak well of the leadership of your church. Children will never respect a pastor or any church leader that their parents criticize between Sundays. Did you hear that? And when you plant those seeds of discord in the minds of your children, you are responsible before God for those seeds. You say, preacher, how much difference Will a consistent teaching and modeling of a Christ-centered life, how much difference will that make on those in my center of influence? I was watching this real neat show the other day. Y'all ever watch this show called Aerial America? Anybody watched Aerial America? Keith, you know, Chris, it's a pretty cool show, ain't it? The other 98% will catch on. Okay, look here, look here. No, no, no look here. But Aerial America in its different states and, and they fly over and take these pictures and, and they tell you about the states and there's a beautiful one on Alabama and the most awesome parts when they fly right over the Holy of Holies Bryant Denny but anyhow and it's, it's on the other school didn't make the video I don't know why must have been one of my friends doing the video but no 
I want to tell you, I was watching one on Louisiana the other day. And I literally liked to fell out of the chair watching it. The other night, it wasn't too late. But I was watching the one about Louisiana. And Louisiana's pretty swampy place. And they're giving all the stuff. And, and it's a secular thing. They're telling you this happened billions and billions of years ago.
sing it with Marty. Lead me on, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me, I will sing that one more time like we mean it. What do you say, Mark? Let's, do, let's sing it without music. Sing it like you mean it. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me. I will for speaking to us today. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Our ushers are coming while they're getting ready. I want to encourage you today if God has spoken to your heart about anything and you really sense that God was really stirring your heart to make decisions for him today and for some reason we're unable to, I want you to hear me. It's never too late. Amen. Till he takes you home. As there's breath in your body. And as God deals with your heart today, and you say, you know, I was that kid that didn't come during the invitation. I was that kid that got to the back door and told the preacher that I'd realize I was lost. And, and I asked him if I came back next week, would he, would he give me a chance to be saved? Well, I thank God. And my preacher said, no, we're, we're not waiting till then, buddy. If God's dealing with you. And he shut her down, focused on a little old insignificant 10-year-old boy. And I've never forgotten that, never. Kids don't forget that stuff. Adults, we don't forget it either when people take time for us. So if you have decisions you need to make today, please don't feel as though the door has been shut. We'll be here. I'm here. Others are here. There are people right around you who'd love to pray with you, pray for you, and help you discover what God is leading you to do today. So as we give today, let's give from our hearts to the Lord. I'm excited about the opportunities ahead, as I always am. I really believe we should be. Missionally, here at home and, and across this nation around the world opportunities God is giving us to be involved in missions and ministry and your faithfulness each week each month is very important to that becoming a reality I really love the way Wearsby put it is you don't give to the church you hear people say well I gotta go give to the church it's not a got to it's a get to you ain't got to give to the church you get to give through the church it's a, this is a transfer station well, you know, we're, we're, we're a transfer. We're, we're stewards of the responsibility. You're a steward to give, and we're a steward to make sure that, that, that we are touching the world with the gospel. And I tell you, you give through the church, and there's nothing better than cooperating with your brothers and sisters and giving and watching God do more than you ever thought possible. So as we give today, let's give cheerfully and joyfully, sacrificially. Let's join our hearts together and ask God's blessings on our giving.
every shoebox gives represents the love of God to them. We are so excited. Many of the children receive the shoebox for the first time in their life. We're here with Operation Christmas Child. The kids are so excited. We had the opportunity to hand out some of the boxes. There's so much joy, so much happiness, and it gives us an opportunity to present the gospel. We pray that these boxes will be used to bring a lot of happiness and joy, but more importantly, the gospel to each heart, all these little children around the world. What a great gift. I get a present, I get to know who Jesus is, but not only that, I get to be discipled in his ways. Hundreds of thousands of volunteers work with Operation Christmas Child every year, preparing these boxes, praying for the boxes, that God will use them in a mighty way for His glory. This little shoebox has the opportunity to change the world. Not only are they going to get a shoebox, they're going to get the love and the message of Jesus Christ. Some go by helicopter, some go by ship, some go by camel, donkeys, canoes. We go at great lengths to take these boxes to children in the most remote parts of the world, and it's an incredible journey. After these children open the box, they have the opportunity to go through the greatest journey, the 12-lesson discipleship program, where they get to learn more about Jesus Christ. Right now, I'm right outside of Mazlan, Mexico, about six hour drive up in the mountains. This is an indigenous people group, people that never heard the gospel before. The kids and the families that accepted Christ, almost a hundred altogether, have now started a church. This shoebox gives us an opportunity to continue to shine the bright light of the gospel in the darkest and remote places around the world. We're seeing families come to know Jesus. Churches are sprouting up in these communities. These children are rising up to be disciples in their own country. The gift box and the gospel of Jesus Christ bring hope to our children to bring the smiles back on their faces. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly. This is what these shoe boxes are all about, to go out and bring a hope of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm just so amazed at what God does each and every year. This is an opportunity to impact the lives of millions of children, just like you've seen. But we need more boxes for next year. Every box is an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you, and God bless each and every one. Isn't it amazing to see the struggle that some are willing to go through to get those boxes to the places that we wouldn't even know exist. The canoes and the, the donkeys and everything just pulling them. I mean, it's just a, amazing to me uh, the collaborative effort that comes from just people like me and you starting right here on the local church level, packing boxes and getting them to distribution centers and then seeing what God will do with them. I really believe in heaven. Sometimes we use our sanctified imagination, but really believe in heaven. There's going to be some wonderful reunions you're going to meet people in heaven that you never knew this side of eternity 
that will be in heaven simply because you cared enough to give. I really believe that. So I encourage you, if you haven't got your box yet, to pick up. So there's some at both doors. And if you need the extra, we can get them for you. It's no problem. And we'll get those in here between now and next Sunday, and we'll see God do something great with them, I'm sure. But I am looking forward to all that's ahead and the day is coming this afternoon. Deacons, we meet at four. Choir's at five. This Wednesday, everybody's at six. And I hope you've recuperated good from, from trunk or treat. Wasn't it just awesome? Let's have the best time. Looking forward to more things like that. And uh, so that's what's going on this week. And we're just believing God for great things. November is tomorrow. Can you